I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Therapy is offering rare disease patients the promise of delivering potential cures. But as it is generally approached today, it has technical challenges to overcome, manufacturing complexities, and an expected high cost. Homology Medicines is taking a unique approach to gene therapy that makes use of a special set of viral vectors that gets around many of the obstacles other gene therapies face. We spoke to Arthur Zanabos. CEO of Homology Medicines, about the company's gene therapy, how it's unique, and why its production and cost may be similar to other biologics today. Arthur, thanks for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. We're going to talk about your company, Homology Medicines, its approach to gene therapy, and, and the implications in what you're doing, which has potential to take gene therapy and make it available and, and priced like any other biologic. Let's begin with gene therapy as, as most people have tried to make it work. How have most approaches tried to insert a missing or faulty gene into a patient? Sure. It's a great, great question. So gene therapy has been around for a long time, going back 30 years or so. And now uh, we've seen a resurgence in this because of the success um, that's been seen recently. So the way the, the idea conventionally, and I would call this gene therapy kind of version 1.0, is by targeting um, cells in the body that are missing or have a faulty gene that's directly responsible for causing a disease. And so what's evolved over time is the use of uh, viral vectors, uh, most frequently uh, adeno-associated viruses or AABs, to carry the correct gene into the cell, and that gene, along with uh, a promoter that's on that gene, kind of operates outside the nucleus and makes that uh, required protein that then, in theory, um, ameliorates the disease or treats that disease. So that's that's the general concept that's been um, tried and has continued to be tried, and over time, what you've seen is a much better safety profile, and you've seen a much better uh, distribution profile. And you're actually starting now to see um, phase three trials report out with with positive data. Uh, These approaches have had to contend with a variety of technical and and practical problems. What are some of those? At the top of the list, I I would say it has been production or manufacturing of, you know, consistent lots of AAVs or viral vectors for uh, human use. So, that's been a challenge that has actually been now um, kind of, you know, reduced in risk because it's been done reproducibly now uh, by multiple companies. But it still remains one of the things um, that the industry faces because, frankly, there's, you know, a shortage of, you know, contract manufacturing, you know, operations or organizations that do this uh, uh, for companies. And so that has created uh, somewhat of a of a problem for the industry, and that's forced the industry to start thinking about, okay, maybe I should be building my own manufacturing. So that's 
that's the big the big one for the field right now. And and really, I think the other one is, you know, uh, in terms of the technical side, the precision and the ability to target the cells that you need to target in the body in order to see an effect. Uh, homology is taking a, a fundamentally different approach because of a unique set of viruses you've been able to isolate from hematopoietic stem cells, the stem cells that give rise to the blood and immune system. What are these viruses right. and what makes them unique? So this is uh, a novel family of AAV viruses that was discovered by Dr. Shashwati uh, Chatterjee at the City of Hope um, in uh, California. and she found that this new family of AAVs was associated with hematopoietic stem cells, as you point out. What made them unusual is that they had the property of having superior biodistribution uh, in animals. So you had uh, this this family crossing the blood-brain barrier, getting into muscle, getting into other tissues. But it also had... um, the, the real surprising quality of being able to mediate or induce homologous recombination uh, in those cells. Now, importantly, this had been discovered in, in 1998. Uh, so it's been known that AAVs can induce homologous recombination at a very low efficiency, so something less than 1%. Her discovery was, it's completely non-obvious, that uh, these AAVs are structurally different but had the ability to induce homologous recombination in a very large percentage of cells compared so, to the AAVs that had been described, you know, almost 20 years ago. So let, let's take a moment here to explain what homologous recombination is, because I think most of our listeners probably won't know what that means. Sure. sure. So homologous recombination is actually uh, a natural mechanism in the body to promote genetic diversity. And, and what it involves is, uh, strands of complementary um, stretches of DNA coming in close contact with each other and actually swapping places on chromosomes. So that diversity um, is something that's been uh, you know evolving for the you know billions of years uh, with nature, and it happens in all species, including man. And the ability to harness that um, HR or homologous recombination event in a targeted way, is what homology medicines is based on. Uh, I take it this is, in some ways, an alternative to using CRISPR. Why would this be more preferential? Uh, Yes, it it is an alternative to using CRISPR. Uh, CRISPR uh, is obviously one of the biggest um, scientific findings uh, in the last uh, three to four years and been in the hands of many people. Um, this is fundamentally different, although the end goal is really the same, which is to promote gene correction, to actually have the ability to cure diseases. So you're making a permanent change in the genome. So this is different because it's non-nuclease-based. There's no cutting or molecular scissors, as CRISPR has, of uh, DNA. So the nucleases in CRISPR-Cas9 um, and in talons and meganucleases and in zinc fingers fundamentally use those scissors to cut DNA, and then another vector comes in and delivers the correct gene. Now, there's a lot of things that um, that can happen that promote off-target um, sequences being inserted, and so there's you know some safety concerns around that. And the companies that are working in this area are trying to figure that out, um, as opposed to 
uh, a, a single component, AAV, that has the ability to do this um, correction in the genome in vivo. The CRISPR technologies right now are mainly focused on an ex vivo approach. So they're taking stem cells out, making that correction, and then putting those cells back into, um, into humans right now versus uh, our approach, which would be because of the specificity and the precision of the system, the ability to do this in vivo is a real possibility for us. I take it one of the implications of that is that it then becomes akin to any other biologics in terms of manufacturing or delivery. What would that mean in terms of That's production or cost and and what patients and payers might expect to, to be wrestling with. Right. So that's a great question. And I think, you know, what I've described for all the nuclease-based approaches is a pretty complex uh, manufacturing setup. So you need the ability to make the virus at large scale in a GMP way or a good manufacturing process way, which is what the FDA requires. You need the ability to make sure that, um, you know, these lots are the same. Then you need the ability to... Um, standardize how you take cells out of the body, how you transduce them with the virus, and then how you check for the, the proper correction, and then how you put those cells back into the body. So it's kind of a combination cell therapy slash gene therapy, if you think about it, versus um, a single virus that does all of that just as a, a single component. So what we would have to worry about is just manufacturing the virus. You don't have to worry about processing of the cells and returning of the cells. So that um, hopefully will translate into a much more uh, effective manufacturing manufacturing process, which then would translate into uh, a real, uh, you know, effective cost of goods uh, price in terms of what it costs to manufacture. So tell me a little about the mechanism here. You, you, you've manufactured the virus. You've inserted uh, a correct s sequence. How does it know where to go, and how does it take that sequence and replace what's faulty or missing? Yeah, that's a great question. And really, I think that's the beauty of this system is its precision because it's designed to so these, these novel um, AAVs that induce or promote homologous recombination can be engineered to carry DNA that, if you imagine, has the correct target gene. So if you want to fix a certain gene, you put that corrected version of the gene in the middle of a homology arm to the left of it and a homology arm to the right of it. And what that comprises is uh, a long stretch of DNA that's perfectly complementary to the sequences that surround the faulty gene in the body. So these homology arms lay down like Velcro, specifically right where you want because of the long stretches of nucleotides, and that induces the homologous recombination so that the target gene that's corrected flips in and the faulty gene flips out. And so that's how the mechanism uh, works. And I take it the expectation is that this gives you a, a safer approach than other gene therapies because of that precision. Yes, that would be the expectation in terms of uh, promoting any kind of off-target, um, you know, breaks in the DNA. And again, this whole mechanism doesn't involve cutting or doing these um, double-stranded uh, breaks throughout the chromosome, which is, you know, in, 
associated with the nuclease-based approaches. At this point, have you identified a, a lead therapeutic or disease? At this point, what we've done is to identify kind of the, the, the diseases we're going after, and we're designing uh, the right vectors for those diseases to do uh, our gene correction. Can you say what, what they're likely to be? Sure. I can tell you the areas we're interested in interested in, which is uh, inborn errors of metabolism, so liver targets. We're very interested in the central nervous system because of the ability of these uh, viruses to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, we're also obviously interested in diseases uh, of the blood, so hemoglobinopathies are a target for us. You know, uh, beta thalassemia, sickle cell anemia, those are very good targets given the fact that these viruses uh, naturally home uh, right to these cells. Is there a timeline when you expect to be in the clinic? Uh, we haven't stated uh, what that timeline is. Right now, uh, we're working towards proving the mechanism out and proving um, and validating the technology and disease you know, animal models, which uh, we're going to be focusing on rare diseases. Uh, given the experience of the uh, management team at Homology Medicine, where you know that a single gene causes a given disease. And if you fix that gene, then that should translate into very good clinical benefit. Well, you recently announced a $43.5 million Series A round with top flight and venture capitalists. How far does that money take you? So that should take us uh, through this, uh, this described preclinical work to prove out the mechanism of action and to prove out the platform. And you mentioned rare disease background of the executive team. You spent more than nine years at Shire working on rare diseases and bringing new therapies to market. How significant a change for rare disease patients do you see gene therapy having the potential for being? You know, it's really striking in that uh, as we sit here today, five years ago, um, we really didn't, we, we had the ability to help patients with rare uh, diseases with huge unmet needs, um, we could treat them. We could make them feel better. Uh, they had better outcomes. They had better quality of life. Um, but we never um, conceived that, you know, in a short period of time, we have the ability to actually cure them. And I think that's really what's transformational about, um, you know, what we're trying to do now, we and others, in terms of helping patients and, you know, really helping society is taking, you know, a little boy with, you know, the Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, for example, and, and saying to him, okay, you're going to take this treatment, um, and we hope you're cured. So that's a big leap forward, uh, a giant leap forward, I would say, in terms of where we are versus just a few short years ago. Arthur Zanabos, President and Chief Executive Officer of Homology Medicines. Arthur, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The BioReport, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. 
We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. 